0: This is not the sound of a stream running through the mountains. It's water from a leaking pipe trickling down a stairway. That's not a frog splashing into a lake. It's a piece of sheetrock falling into a puddle on a kitchen floor. And that's not a hiker taking a deep breath of mountain air. It's a homeowner gasping at the sight of a $12,000 water damage repair bill. 40% of homeowners have experienced water damage. Protect your home with the Moen Smart Water Monitor and Shutoff.
1: from bbc science focus magazine this is instant genius the bite-sized masterclass in podcast form i'm alex hughes staff writer at bbc science focus magazine this week i'm joined by professor and author sean harding she's the author of the exquisite machine the new science of the heart she explains how the heart works how we can look after it and the biggest risks we face with our hearts. So I think a good place to start is probably with a bit of a refresher course. So could you explain what exactly it is that the heart actually does for us?
0: Uh, So the heart pumps all the blood around the body. Um, It has two circuits, in fact. So it's got the uh, left circuit, which which is the left ventricle, Um, which pumps the the blood into the body under high pressure through the aorta and that returns to the right ventricle and then the blood goes around the lungs where it's um, refreshed with more oxygen and carbon dioxide removed and uh, then then goes back again so it has it has the dual circuit there but mainly the the idea is to um, keep your blood pumping and really um your heart generally beats to sort of 60 or 70 beats a minute and you probably know that if you if you miss four minutes of that that's it you're 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 a goner
1: and we've been studying the heart for for years it keeps us alive all day it's very important but how much do we actually know about it is there something that we know inside out or is this still very much a, a mystery to us
0: well, I, I went into to the cardiology really quite some time ago, about 40 years ago now. And because because the imaging and the methods around studying the heart were getting so much better, I could see that it was unlike the brain, which was still a very early stage of study, This there was a lot we could do with this. And the imaging has got better and better, both on the sort of macro level on MRIs and, and you know, uh, the electrical activity of the heart and on the micro and nano level on, on the cells. Um, and as the imaging um, improves, we find out more and more. And I can say that, you know, during the, my career, even even now, uh, even right at the, as I retire, I'm still finding out new things about the heart every day. And I think um, one of the major things that people are
1: interested in the heart is about uh, the disease itself. Um, What are the major factors of heart disease other than I guess the obvious ones of people not living a healthy lifestyle and alcohol? Do genetics matter? Does your social status, your uh, economic background, I assume sleep is a big factor?
0: Yes um, so the, the the as you say, people probably know the major risk factors about what, what they should take care of. High blood pressure is one, which is very common, and 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 cholesterol high lipids another. And those things are, are, you can treat uh, to some extent with a healthy lifestyle, and you should definitely try to do that. But um, there are times when, as especially as we age that it's difficult to really keep cholesterol down or to keep your blood pressure down. And so there are very good drug regimes now for keeping your blood pressure down and the statins for cholesterol, which really have shown massive benefits in terms of cardiovascular health and um, you should definitely. Or, you know, I'm a pharmacologist, and so I, we, would, that person who develops drugs, and so I like to say, keep taking the tablets. We've spent a lot of time making them, and you know, they, they, they the drugs do work. Um, so there, there are those things. Um, then there are things that that have sort of emerged more, as you say, genetics, and, um, and many of us will come, will. Carry around mild genetic mutations for uh, that c- could predispose us to heart disease, and and some rarer ones, some more severe ones too. But when um, the people looked at the genetics of dilated cardiomyopathy, one of the heart failure things, uh, this um, was uh, uh, found. Um, like mutation titin was found to be responsible for about 25% of these. It's a very long protein and very prone, therefore, to picking up these kind of mutations. But when they looked in a normal, apparently normal population, they found that about 1% of the population also have some kind of mutation or variant in in titin. And um, it's it's sort of emerged uh, as we've gone along that Many of the people with the, in the normal population will stay healthy. But if they have a kind of second hit, um, like um, a high alcohol intake or even just high end of normal, or um, chemotherapy drugs, or uh, pregnancy is a big test of the heart. So that they can be more susceptible to, to damage and getting heart failure when they encounter those things. So certainly genetics is one of them. Um, uh, As I mentioned, chemotherapy, because it's been very successful in many cases like breast cancer, for example, now we're starting to see that the the damage caused by um, chemotherapy on the heart, the heart has very little sort of reparative processes. And uh, the, these are kind of knocked out by the chemotherapy drugs. I mean, your hair falls out, you know that. And so all your organs are damaged by most, by the chemotherapy drugs. And the heart is, uh, uh, one of those. And of course you only have one heart. Uh, you can grow your hair back. Um, uh, so, um, uh, the, so the, the other things that you mentioned, uh, I, the, uh, the social hierarchy is quite an interesting one. It's very in- difficult to know what you might do about this, but even um, the, the uh, even animals in a cage, even mice in a cage in a in a laboratory environment where they all eat the same food and they have exercise wheels to run on and they have toys to play with, um, and they so they have the same kind of uh, environment. But those at the top of the social hierarchy, uh, like the alpha males, will do a lot better than those at the bottom of the hierarchy, who can, in fact, just develop spontaneous heart disease, uh, atherosclerosis, and faring up of the arteries. That um, uh, So so even, even that social rank, and that's been reproduced in the studies of, for example, civil servants, the Whitehall studies. Um, you can see the social hierarchy there in a set of people who really have fairly similar lifestyles so health
1: standards and exercise have I mean obviously improved drastically over the years has this improved our our overall heart health as a society
0: Yes, so particularly heart attacks. Um, there's been a really major drop in the mortality from heart attacks. And that is because people are, are living better lifestyles. It's also because they have things like the heart failure and statin, uh, the, heart, the um, statins and the blood pressure drugs. One interesting thing, though, is that when you have something like a heart attack or you have these other kinds of damage that I've mentioned, like chemotherapy, uh, or um, an inherited heart disease. Um, if your heart is underperforming, and and you, the body is sensing that your heart is has lost power, then the body responds to stimulate the heart. Um, however, this is a kind of uh, evolutionary reflex. We didn't really have heart attacks and things in you know our evolutionary, long evolutionary past. And so what the heart is responding to is something like um, uh, is this, as if you were trying to run away from a predator. So the fight and flight response. So it's stimulating your heart with adrenaline. And or it, it's thinking you're having an injury. So you're having blood loss, hemorrhage. And so, it's trying to shut down your blood vessels to stop blood loss. It's trying to load your body with water uh, to replace the, the, the blood you've lost. So, the hormonal things come into play with that. And they're fine if, if they are for emergency responses and they're short term. But unfortunately, if they're prolonged, as they are for over weeks or months or even years, when you've got this poor heart um, power, then they are damaging. And so you get a second wave of damage that, that drives the heart into a disease, uh, heart failure. Uh, and, and this is quite distinct from a heart attack. Uh, with a heart attack, you get the pain um, in your jaw or your chest or down your left arm. You feel sweaty, nauseous, faint. But heart failure is quite different. It's, it's been described like feeling like you're drowning. Um, so your body is loading itself with water. You get swollen limbs, swollen ankles. Water collects around your uh, lungs, so you become breathless and very fatigued. It, it, uh, it sort of collect, um, collects around your gut, so your digestion is affected. Um, and and so uh, that is increasing in the population because people are living, in a sense, with, with this heart damage. And so a lot of what we're treating now is heart failure? There's probably about nine hundred thousand people in the UK living with heart failure just now. For someone that
1: wanted to have good heart health and wanted to, I guess, prolong their life, what are the key things that they should be doing?
0: So I've I've mentioned um, uh, getting tested, and so having your blood pressure taken, and 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 in fact the. Um, uh, there are many sort of wellness and health initiatives that uh, t- take your um, uh, you know will, will test your blood pressure and you become forty or over um so certainly that um, uh, and and then obviously co- you know carry on with the medication try to keep your uh, cholesterol down. The Mediterranean diet is um, a tra- tried and true one for, uh, you know, with the leafy vegetables, etc. Um, try to keep alcohol within reasonable bounds. There is uh, some evidence that, that a small amount of alcohol is actually not too bad for the heart. And um, uh, But certainly, you know, the, the, the amount of that you think of as not too much is getting lower and lower all the time so one drink a day one standard drink a day would be the thing obviously don't smoke that's a big one uh, not smoking it's probably top of the the list in fact exercise yes and um extremely important particularly going from sedentary to some exercise um of course you can you can um you can run marathons and things like that there is some evidence that the very extreme exercise is probably a bit too much but almost none of us will fall into that category um i think the the, the sort of recommended thing is um so, something like 30 minutes exercise moderate exercise a day uh, so a walk brisk walk um to housework uh anything that sort of just gets you moving really it's not uh not too testing not too difficult to, to get to that uh, kind of thing then then some of these other things it's probably just a case of being aware and so the chemotherapy um the um the pollu- the the, the uh, social status uh, you know the, that that's going to be a, a factor but pollution also there's um very interesting study i talk about in the book where people were uh, asked to walk um in in uh, Oxford Street, with all when it had mostly diesel traffic, etc, just at their own pace, um, just for two hours, some, there were some, some, some healthy people, uh, some people who had heart or lung disease, and then they were asked to also to walk at separately in Hyde Park, which is only at the ex- end of Oxford street uh, it's a lovely big park, but not it 's still in the centre of London and the the difference in pollution levels there was probably about double in the sense that it's just under the recommended limit um, in Hyde park and it's so, it's about it's fairly strongly over the, the recommended limit in um in Oxford street and in uh, hyde park even a couple of hours walk um showed some effect on blood vessel health, for example, that lasted a couple of days actually even it was quite a gentle exercise, so you know nothing extreme there but in, in Oxford Street the opposite was true that there was distinct uh, effects on the blood vessel health distinct uh, you know, problems uh, a decline in blood pressure uh, blood, blood vessel and lung health while walking down Oxford Street and that was related to the pollution they were all wearing sensors for pollution the noise levels also which noise pollution is another thing Uh, as you say disturbance of sleep from noise pollution is a particular worry and so those things um, apart from you know public health initiatives it's it's difficult to uh, avoid all the time Um, but you can just be aware of, of those things
1: and On the opposite side of that scale, how can you tell if your heart isn't bad, Nick? If there's what what are the signs that people should be looking for so that they can go to the doctor when they
0: are worried about things? And so, um, uh, the, the the heart attacks and uh, the very dramatic one, obviously. Um, uh, there's um, uh, there. What you need to do with when for a heart attack is make sure you get. You say when you are get an ambulance uh, or get to the hospital very quickly, but make it clear that you're having a heart attack uh, because um, or you think you're having a heart attack because there are specific protocols, specific centers that you go to where they, they're very slick in uh, diagnosing and treating. And the time what we say is time is muscle Um so it's important to get to a specialist centre. Don't go and sit around in A and E uh, waiting, or go, or wait for an appointment with your GP. Go straight there and and as quickly as you possibly can. Um, uh, in terms of other uh, problems with the heart, breathlessness and and not able to exercise is uh, um, a, a a a warning sign. Um, chest pain. Not like the heart attack, but sort of intermittent chest pain, like angina. That's um, uh, that's uh, definitely a warning, and particularly if you get that at rest. Um, uh, then, then there is uh, one other thing that I talk about in in the book quite a lot, which is um, having a sudden, uh, a sudden, very extreme emotional experience uh, that um, uh, uh, will. Um, can precipitate uh, the um, heart disease. So, uh, for example, uh, bereavement is one of the the key things which causes this really strong emotional stimulus, causes a real surge of adrenaline. And people uh, can suffer sudden cardiac death. And so that would be where you uh, would really just feel faint and fall to the ground. And what's happening uh, to your heart there is there's um, a a big disturbance in rhythm, a a fibrillation. So your heart really, all the different parts of your heart are beating, but not in a a synchronized way. So they can't expel blood. And once that happens, you have really four minutes uh, for that. So that's why there are defibrillators uh, in many places and um, you should get, uh, you know, again, call the ambulance, obviously, but uh, get to a defibrillator, a local defibrillator, if you see somebody having this, and um, use that. More people should really be trained in the use of defibrillators. So that's sudden sudden cardiac death. Uh, and there's another one, which is uh, somewhat rarer. It's, it's seen... Sudden cardiac death is mostly seen in in men, but it's seen in men and women. But probably about eighty percent in men. Um, In 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 women, especially postmenopausal women, there's another syndrome, uh, and both of these are often called broken heart syndrome because of the 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 sort of big effect of bereavement in in this respect. Um, And they are admitted to hospital thinking they're having a heart attack. Um, and, uh, when their heart is imaged, they can't, the doctors can't see any blockage in the vessels. It doesn't look like they're having a heart attack. They can't see any damage to the heart. But What they do see is that the heart is contracting in a very strange way. So part of the heart can be contracting really vigorously. And part of the heart, often the sort of tip of the heart is not contracting at all. It kind of looks like it's ballooning out. um, uh, this is often called Takatsubu syndrome. It was first seen in Japan, um, uh, and uh, this is the shape of the octopus pot that they used to do something with octopuses, trap them, I suppose. Um, and uh, so it's been, it's been given that name. And um, it can be fatal also. Uh, about 5% of people who come in with this will have this uh, problem. Uh, so it's about eighty percent of these the people who come in will be postmenopausal women, but uh, and about five percent of the whole population that come in like this will could can die, but but for those who remain, they people don't quite know what to do. They sort of give supportive care, the doctors, um, and um, they will could can recover very quickly, and so they they can recover in days or, or weeks, and have. Um uh yeah, it's difficult to say because you didn't see their heart beforehand, but reasonably normal effect. Maybe there's some residual damage, we're not completely sure, but uh they have, or to all intents and purposes, uh, a normal heart. So this is a very um uh, uh interesting difference. Um and um uh, there's a there's a paper that I often quote, which is uh, well, the, the football, for example, is an extremely strong stimulus for this. There's about a 30% increase in uh, cardiac events around the time of, of the World Cup, and particularly if there's a penalty shootout. Um, there's this a particular uh, a paper which describes um, a family in Chile uh, who um, were watching the World Cup final against Brazil, and their team was... Uh, Playing Brazil with the fa- and they were watching with the family, and they they uh, lost uh, on the final penalty kick and then there was a huge argument in, in, arose in the family and uh, after that the, the father um, was taken to hospital um, with chest pain and in fact his heart went into fibrillation and and they couldn't defibrillate him and sadly he died. But the mother was brought into the same emergency room about a, a, an hour or so later, and she had developed the Takatsubu syndrome. And so she had this, uh, this acute heart failure to start with, but then she recovered fully and 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 went home. So this is a real demonstration of the, the, the difference between men and women in this disease. You mentioned
1: uh, quite a lot then about the emotional side of um, heart failure and the heart in general, could you explain a little bit about where this belief of a heart being attached to love and emotion and romance has come from?
0: Oh, that's That was a a more historical thing when, when people didn't completely know what the heart did. But I think possibly because you can sense your heart. Some people are better at sensing their heart than others. Um, it's called interoception. Um, this this ability ability to sense what's happening inside your body. But most people can can understand when their heart is racing or pounding if they if they've been running or if they've been frightened. They're watching a horror film. So most people can can feel that. And in fact, the sensing of your heart, um, having the these kind of uh, this kind of uh, racing. Um, is enough to amplify your fear uh for example so in fact if you play recording of a, a racing heart to somebody and you tell them it's their heart they they will you could even precipitate a panic attack in that case so um there there are there is a little tiny plexus of nerves inside the heart which um uh, it has both uh, sensing nerves as well as nerves to you know receive messages from your brain, and it can it can tell your brain you're 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 frightened in that sense. In your book,
1: you talk about um, issues with the heart being often the result of treatment for other issues like uh, cancer, for example. Is this something that uh, that can be balanced out, or is it? Currently, a bit of
0: an unsolvable problem? It's been tougher to solve than we thought. Um, The the early cancer drugs are are mostly uh, just poisonous, really. And then so they poison the very rapidly dividing cells, one of which is a cancer, uh, uh, more than they would to other uh, cells that are not dividing and And so we knew that they were pretty damaging for the body and and it's but they're very good for the cancer, so you 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 can't not use them then um more specific drugs like monoclonal antibodies like herceptin for things like the um cancers that um of of which have uh, estrogen receptors, for example, like breast cancer. Um, they were developed, and uh, they thought that that would solve the problem. But actually, the first trials were very disappointing. And there was probably about, especially when they were mixed with the older cancer, some of the older cancer drugs, probably about 25% of the patients in one trial, for example, went into heart failure. Um, And it was estimated at that time that uh, even with the new drugs, that Nine years after you had the diagnosis from breast cancer, you were more likely to die from the tr- heart effects of the treatment than you were from the, um, the cancer re- recurring. Uh, so there's a lot of work being done about this. So a lot of drugs are now. It, it's very uh, they're taking trouble to test the drugs for both cardiac and cancer. Uh, effects before bringing them to market. So there's a lot of new drugs coming onto the market, uh, which are going to be uh, better, we hope, for that. Um, The oncologists and the cardiologists are teaming up at various hospitals so that you have a clinic, so you can understand if anybody's particularly at risk, you can monitor the people as they go through the chemotherapy. You can get get them um, uh, the sort of protective uh, heart failure type drugs quickly if, if necessary. So there's there's definitely a lot of work. There's there's um, there's a, there are cardio oncology societies specifically aimed at um, thinking about all the studies around this area. Something
1: that I think has seen massive. Um, growth in recent years is the use of heart rate trackers whether that's through smart watches or through dedicated um, heart rate trackers is this something that we should all be wearing and monitoring or should we be taking some sort of measure of our heart health throughout the day
0: Uh, it's it's not a bad idea um the, uh, the one of the things you can see that's very useful to know is your resting heart rate and your resting heart rate should be well once it goes above 70 you should just start to take care about that and if it's getting up into the 80s 90s then then that's that's a predictor of of bad heart health in the future obviously your heart rate goes up when you exercise and that's good and and usually if you exercise a lot then your resting heart rate will go down and so that's good and um then there are uh, it's just starting to come out some of the watches can detect Uh, arrhythmia, rhythm disturbances in your heart. Um, There's a very common one called atrial fibrillation, which is good to catch early. And so some of the monitors have got that. Uh, And and even if it just brings you to the doctor to have a proper ECG done, that's probably a good idea. I mean, it's very interesting, uh, all the the different, um, the development of the different devices. Uh, There are um now a uh, way of thinking about maybe through earphones which you you your airpods for example where you've got um are uh, in your ear you might be able to um uh, uh, detect uh, not only the heart rate but perhaps blood pressure as well um also it can uh, some of the things like when you eat you can you can um they can detect what you know they can give an idea about what you're eating and and so uh, you can you can understand that's much more uh, reliable than people reporting what they're eating, which tends to be uh, like reporting of alcohol tends to be a little bit on the optimistic side. Um, so uh, so uh, that's good. There's uh, there are um, you, you've seen probably the airport sensors where you can see the um, the people where they've got a fever, for example. But adapting those kind of sensors to be uh, to To understand from the small fluctuations in the the light signals coming from the face of the person, their heart rate or even possibly blood pressure. And putting those around uh, in in homes where people are vulnerable, where you need to, to understand whether they're going to have a problem. And so you can track people, monitor them in their own home.
1: And I think we've uh, made it quite clear throughout this um, that heart medicine is moving at an incredible pace. What improvements do you think we might see in treatment in the next few years?
0: There's a couple of really big areas. Um, uh, The the one is the gene therapy. Uh, I I described a very early trial in the book, but uh, and, and that Really, just showed us we needed more of the the, the um, infect the gene to get in really. But the the British Heart Foundation, which uh, in in the UK fund about half of all cardiac research, have just given a big prize uh, of thirty million to a team led by Oxford, but worldwide also, um, who are aiming to use the the new genetic teni- techniques of gene therapy or gene editing where you use something like CRISPR-Cas9 to snip out bits of genes or insert bits of genes and and to um, tackle inherited uh, genetic conditions. So this is a big challenge uh, because the, the technology is quite new and um, there are all sorts of uh, complications in terms of trying to get these, these uh, genes into people. Um, so, but that's a, a you know a really huge area that's going to expand enormously soon. The other thing that I worked on a lot was uh, cell therapy, and um, one big uh, sort of uh, success has been making new heart tissue, but from just ordinary cells. Uh, So um, you probably heard about embryonic stem cells and they're a small number of cells that that occur in the early fertilized egg, uh, which could, can then go on to produce all the organs in the body. So if you take them out uh, and you culture them, they can make a cart or lung or kidney cells. And and so you can, if you get the right kind of combination of factors uh, using the kind of things that you would the body itself would use during development, growth factors and things like that. Um, so you can make from those cells uh, beating heart muscle cells. Now, that was very um, informative, but a using uh, embryos, of course, has huge ethical uh, ethical connotations. And so um, it's, it's legal in the UK with strict regulation, uh, in many other countries have problems with this. And so it was fantastic when about just over 10 years ago, um, a guy called Shinya Yamanaka uh, was a won the Nobel Prize because he showed you could take an ordinary cell from your body. He used skin cells because skin, skin will grow quite well in, in a Petri dish. Or you can use cells that you isolate from your blood or even those waste cells you can pick up from urine. And anyway, anything that will grow nicely in a dish, you can treat with uh, reprogramming factors to kind of reset them to be like embryonic stem cells. You take out their the messages that make them what they are and you reset them, turn the clock back like default factory settings to their, so they become stem cells and stem cells can reproduce uh, indefinitely like a bit like cancer cells in a way, but then they can be turned into uh, all the different organs of the body. And and so in, in our lab, which was a very ordinary kind of lab, we were able to make uh, patches of heart cells beating away about the size of your thumb. And it really was only the cost that stopped us from being able to make bigger ones. Now, uh, people have made ones the size of the palm of your hand, for example, which is just the right size to go over a, a scar in, in a in a heart that's had a heart attack. And, and early studies have begun. Um, they've begun around 2020 and we've just had um, some news from the Japanese who did the, one, some of the first ones that, that they're, they're, they're safe um, and that uh, there's some indication of the benefit but these are very early small studies.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Sean Harding. If you want to know more about the heart check out her book The Exquisite Machine. The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus Magazine which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and news agents as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively you can come and find us online sciencefocus.com